On July 2nd, 2011, Kendrick Lamar dropped his debut album, Section 80. Ten years later, how are we feeling about it? Welcome to the Bar for Bar podcast, and this week I'm going to talk about Section 80 ten years later, and, you know, just my thoughts on it when it came out, how I relate to it, and that sort of thing. So, this album, like I mentioned, came out in 2011. In 2011, I had, well, when this album came out, I had just recently graduated high school, so it was a interesting time for me. Uh, and at that time, I was working, so I was traveling between the East Bay and San Francisco, because that's where I worked. Now, <laughs> during that time, I, like, I, I mean, if you know the Bay Area, that's a good 40-minute drive on average. Uh, assuming no traffic, anywhere between 40 minutes with no traffic up to about almost two hours if traffic is just god-awful. So, I listen to a lot of music on the way there. And I mean, I still listen to a lot of music on the way to San Francisco anyways, because I go there frequently, as is. But anyways, this album was one of those albums that I listened to a lot. Another thing with that time <laughs> in my life is that, well, not even in my life, just in general, this was kind of before streaming services started getting really popular. I mean, I know Spotify was around at this point, but not too many people were on board yet. I wasn't. I was still in the in the idea. I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to just download my music, like buy it and download it and like burn a CD or something. Because the other thing is I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't have a smartphone just yet. <laughs> I was still using this like a slab Samsung Blackjack too. Um, so I had no way to play music in the car from my phone. Also because my car didn't have Bluetooth or an auxiliary jack at that point. So CDs were really the only option for me. And at that time I also had just like, I was one of those people who had like a booklet of CDs and since then have tragically lost it because we sold that car and I forgot to take out that booklet. Um, anyways, the album came out, like I said, right around before streaming was super popular. So, what that means is, back then, we would sit with albums a bit longer. And even before that, we would sit with albums even longer. So, what I would do, or what I did, was I bought the album, burned the CD, and listened to it as much as I could. Because I didn't have a whole lot of money to spend on music. So, I was like, I'm going to listen to something that I actually... Well, this is what I spent my money on. I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> God damn it. And that's kind of the thing that a lot of people did back then, too. It's like, you can only afford, like, maybe one, two albums a month. And then you're just like, well, I hope they're good. And if they're not, I'm still going to listen to them because I bought it. <laughs> Got to get my money's worth. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, that was the main reason I listened to it a bunch. But the other reason I listened to it a bunch was because it was a genuinely good album. This album... So it follows his, I guess, commercial mixtape that Top Dog was doing back then, uh, which J-Rock, Absol, and School Q also did. Um, so it follows Kendrick's Overly Dedicated, which came out in, what, 2009, 2010, something like that. Um, and at that point, I was listening to Kendrick. I listened to Kendrick when Overly Dedicated came out. And, I mean, yeah, he was dope then, but... As a full project, that one felt a little bit more disjointed because it wasn't really meant to be, I mean, it was a mixtape. It, was, it wasn't an album. So 
starting with section 80, that's where we really started to get his more conceptual album themes. With this album, he touches on quite a few things. So he goes between, I guess, abuse. He goes between drug use. Uh, he goes into the Ronald Reagan era. And, you know, just everything that's kind of associated with that. I couldn't really relate to a lot of that. I mean, because I wasn't in any of those situations where I could, you know, <laughs> it didn't, I, I couldn't connect to it. But it was still done in a way that I was like, oh, I understand entirely what you're doing. And this makes a lot of sense. And this was really one of the few times that I really picked up on it. But I think that was mostly because it was a lot more obvious with it. So, I mean, like I've mentioned in the past, my main introduction to hip-hop was Lupe Fiasco. And Lu if you know Lupe, you know that his, even each individual song is super conceptual. And that all ties into a huge concept for the album. But with Kendrick, his album, Section 80, like I said, does have a whole theme to it. But it was a lot more obvious. So I was able to pick up on these themes more readily and i think this is really the time where like it clicked for me like yo you can make albums and tell a story like and even though he doesn't necessarily talk about one story throughout the whole album like there are songs that tie into each other like on um what was it track four no makeup that is tied directly to keisha song um, and the same with, I think, I think there's another couple like that, uh, but like sex or chapter six leads into the next three songs. Chapter 10 is leading into the next couple songs, uh, and even the intro. Um, but before I get into the album itself, uh, other stuff with this album, I, like I said, really listen to this a lot. And during the time when I would be driving to San Francisco quite a bit, I would often drive with one of my friends, Kenny, who've, who's been on the podcast in the early days. Um, but that was also really his introduction to Kendrick Lamar. And because I would play it so much, he was like, yo, no, I, I like this. And that was also when he was getting into like the more, uh, I guess, different rap too. And we were just... It was a different time, you know, like it wasn't as easy to find new artists that were dope. Like now we can just go on Twitter and we'll find someone who's dope. Like it's nothing. But before you had to really dig um, like cause it was a blog era. So, I mean, if you well, no, it was right before the blog era, I guess, because that really started in 2013, I'd say. But this is the beginnings of it. But, you know, it wasn't one of those albums that was super promoted everywhere because no one really knew Kendrick yet. I mean, everyone started knowing him once he got signed with Dre and dropped Good Kid Mad City, but you know, that's a little that's a different thing. Uh also with this album, another big reason that I return to it frequently and it just kind of stays in my head is <laughs> because in what was it 20 Sorry, I'm, my keyboard's being dumb. In 2013, when Grand Theft Auto V came out, ADHD was one of the main songs on the radio. Um, 
alongside Hood Gonna Love It, which was an interesting choice. Now that I think about it, because that wasn't really, I mean, that's a whole different thing. I'm not going to get into it, but it was, it was weird because that was a Strange Music album. But the only reason that it was released on Strange Music is because they bought him out of his contract, essentially, because they were shelving him for the longest time. Um, anyways, um, Kendrick was on <laughs> the radio for GTA 5 quite a bit. I mean, ADHD and being featured on Who Gonna Love It, you know, that's a good amount. So that was exciting. And, you know, ADHD is one of those songs that's just super catchy and you're just going to keep it in your head. Um, so even a few years later, it was like an album that I would listen to often. And even now, like I listened to it on Friday, uh, the second when it had turned 10 years old. Um, and it still, to me, holds up pretty well. Um, what that means is that I can still listen to it and enjoy it. What I didn't realize up until literally this morning, oh uh, well, so I had I had recorded a whole 40 minutes earlier, but then I realized that I was just kind of jumping all over the place, so hopefully this is a little bit more focused. But anyways, when I started recording that um, original video, the, I realized that they took a track out. Um, so the track, um, Spiteful Chant, was apparently removed from streaming services. And it's not entirely clear as to if it was because of a copyright dispute um, or sample clearance. I, th I want to lean more towards it being a sample clearance. But you would expect that at this point, um, Top Dog would be able to just pay for it. <laughs> but eh, it is what it is. Um, I really like that song too, but it's fine. It's fine. I'll just find a rip online again. Actually, no, I still have the actual file, so I can just listen to it whenever I want. Um, but anyways, Spiteful Chant was a fun song. Um, yeah, I think that's enough of me just kind of rambling about my overall thoughts on the album. Um, we'll get into the actual album now. So the track, the track, the album starts off with the track. Fuck your ethnicity. And with this album and this track in particular, in my mind, the way I imagined it was that it was like just a bunch of people, like a group of people, gathered around a campfire. And there was this gentleman speaking. He's kind of like the OG you could think of it, or at least that's how I would think of it as. And he was kind of like a, in a counselor sort of position. Um... But if you look into the album itself, I mean, it's there in the neighborhood. There is still a fire because you can hear the crackling. But I think it's more just like they're just in the neighborhood. And these are people who have all gone through something. And it's more like a therapy session, it sounded like. So with this track, Fuck Your Ethnicity, he's basically saying like, yo, it doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, where you came from who you are as a person, like, we can all come together and support each other, which I thought was dope. Um, it also, I mean, fuck your ethnicity, like, I mean, yes, you can, like, yes, be proud of who you are, be proud of your ethnicity, but don't let that hold you back from supporting others or, like, thinking, or don't make that be a, a way for you to think differently of someone else, like, still treat people like people essentially so i thought that was dope and you know it's 
it was a very interesting thing to start off the album with because, you know, you wouldn't expect that to be a thing. Like, that's not something that people really said in rap at that time. Um, and honestly, even with the rest of the album, there's a lot of things that are said that wasn't too common. Uh, I mean, you would get the more, I guess, conscious rappers saying these things, but not from someone who's, what was he, like 23 at this point? Like, not someone who's young. So, it was a change for sure. Like, yeah, Kendrick just felt very, I guess, mature for his age? I mean, I don't want to say it like that. That makes it sound bad. But, you know, like, the way he thought was different from other people his age, it felt like. Anyways, Fuck Ethnicity was a very solid intro, and it really kind of set the tone for the album well, because you get an idea of like, okay, so we're going to get into some real shit here. Um, that does kind of change up with Hole Up and ADHD, um, because those are a little bit higher energy. They're not as in your face about what they're about, but you know, they're very solid tracks in their own right. And I do think that it's better that he did it this way because you don't want to just go straight into the serious stuff right after, like right after the first track. So it was a smoother transition. Um, Hold Up is always a fun song to listen to for me just because it always ends with him. Well, I don't know why I said it always ends with him saying that, but like it ends with him saying um, something about like, if I could fuck her in front of all these passengers, the plane will like he basically makes the plane emergency land because they thought he was osama which i just thought was funny it it there's nothing else to it like it was just funny to me um then adhd goes into a little bit more um about the theming or one of the themes of the album which is the ronald reagan era and 80s babies uh i'm not super well versed in the Ronald Reagan era, so I can't say a whole lot, but the gist of it to me was that, like, that was during the crack epidemic and in the 80s, so a lot of shit happened. Uh, ADHD is typically seen as just being super hyperactive and distracted and, you know, just jumping from thing to thing, but it also can lean very much into hyper-focus, so... They're, he's basically trying to pull those two things together. So being a crack baby, like you are going to be exposed to certain things. Like you, like even if your mother didn't do crack, like when you were uh, in the womb, like you're, you know, likely to be around other people who have. And I mean, Kendrick has mentioned that in the past as well. Like, well, not necessarily on this album, but in other albums. But you know, like. You see things differently. Um, but again, I can't really speak too much to that. Um, but anyways, the I think one thing that they said on this track that was that really stuck out was... Um, there it is. Like, the final line. Because this whole song is about him basically going and pursuing this woman. Uh, and then at the very end, she's basically like, Yo, you know why we crack babies? It's because we're born in the 80s. The ADHD crazy. Uh, which, you know, like I said, kind of goes into that whole thing about the ADHD kind of leading to crack. Like, people 
try to correlate those two and, and it's possible like because you're so aware of your surroundings you're going to be just like how do i act like that can influence you um the other thing that was really i guess cool for me with that line is that you know why we, like so crack babies like if you're calling someone a crack baby other than them being in the 80s it could be that they're not necessarily in the best position monetarily like with their family so they may need section 8 section 8 housing is just essentially affordable housing for the less fortunate i guess now that's cool because that pulls in the section part of the album and then because we were born in the 80s brings in the 80 part so section 80 um i just thought that was cool uh we then go into no makeup which yeah um that was the first song that really just kind of hit you so with this song well with the first verse you have kendrick talking about this woman who's spending a lot of time putting makeup on and in his head he's like yo like that's not really what's important to me like who you are as a person is what's more important like i don't really care as much about appearance which i mean i feel like that's a lot of people's thoughts as well and you know that's all fine and good and everything but as we get to the second verse we start to hear from that person and it sounds like she's kind of in that same camp she's like i know i'm beautiful like i don't really need all this but we get to the main reason that she is doing all this which is the fact that she has a black eye now we won't or we don't really know where this black eye came from nor will we ever really know for sure but this song or this story of this person will be carried on on track 11 well which is now track 10 um was a keisha song so we hear a little bit more from her experience then and that's something that Kendrick's done a couple times on this album where he'll mention something and then be like, all right, well, I'm going to refer to it later, which is pretty cool, especially for a concept album. Like it makes you really sit and try to connect the dots more so. Um, so that goes. Um, yeah, I don't know why he's I don't I don't like the genius annotation here. Like it says Kendrick doesn't think girls need makeup to look good or look sexy just a brain like i mean yeah but still like there's more to it than that um sorry i i get very uh into lyrics as you probably are aware uh this then goes into tammy's song and tammy is a different person entirely and one of the people like her as well as keisha are mentioned by name on the track fuck your ethnicity like basically tying them to gather around uh, with Tammy's song, we hear actually about two different people. Uh, it's not really clear who's who on this song, but the first two verses are following someone who's, you know, a little bit more well-off, you could say, because she's driving a Mercedes. Uh, she has a significant other who just doesn't treat her well, uh, in the sense that she is being cheated on. So, you know, she's like, I bet. And she's like, fine, I'm going to go <laughs> and go give him this other dude. 
basically as payback. Uh, with the third and fourth verse, we hear from another woman, a uh, similar situation, not necessarily like super, I guess, flashy. I, guess. I don't know how to put that. But basically, she's like, I'm riding for this dude, like same as the first verse. But then she also realizes that he is cheating on her. Um, so she ran out and, you know, popped his eye <laughs> and then ran outside and got with someone else as well. And then, you know, and then Kendrick just kind of mentions the idea like, yo, sometimes after like these girls are just tired of dealing with these guys and how they're treating them, they get together. Uh, that's kind of a weird thing to pull, uh, pull together from that, but you know, sure. Um, I guess it's also presumed or assumed that the two women that are being talked about here are the ones that get together, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, we then get into chapter six, which leads us into Ronald Reagan era, poor man's dreams and the spiteful chant. And chapter six is basically just kind of alluding to each of those tracks where the narrator says uh there's an even more topic important topic i'd like to discuss the dysfunctional bastards of the ronald reagan era young men that learn to do everything spiteful this is your generation live fast die young uh, who's willing to tell the story or explain the story um so it goes right into ronald reagan era where kendrick just kind of goes through all these things that are in because of the Ronald Reagan era. I do like that song just because it's a fun ride around song, but it's also very important and serious. It leads well into Poe Man's Dreams, which talks about, I believe, his uncle and his dad, and kind of the things that they have done and their struggles. Um, and then it also goes into Spiteful Chant, which is really just a, a follow-up, I guess, after dealing with those two tracks. So, you know, get into the spite. And like I mentioned, I'm really bummed out that I just found out that uh, Spiteful Chant was no longer on there. Um, even though, the, I guess the person that... I guess the person that they sampled was totally fine with it, even though he never got asked for it, like the or permission to sample, but... Uh, yeah. I'm just so mad that I didn't notice it. Like, when I listened to it the other day, I'm like, I just forgot about it entirely. That's silly of me. Um, you know, then we get into Keisha's song, <clears throat> which carries on the story of Keisha from track four, No Makeup. And what this song is really just about is just talking, like, it kind of alludes to how she got the black eye, I guess, or how why she has a black eye. Um, so Keisha is I I don't know what the proper term is, but I I guess a woman of the night. Um and you know, that's fine. You gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Um but I mean Kendrick starts off both verses. Yeah. No, actually all three verses. Um basically saying, and Lord knows she's beautiful, Lord knows the usual is leaving her body sore. So, Lord knows that she's beautiful. She knows that she's beautiful. But also the people that she has to deal with leave her sore. 
um, whether that be due to people being a little bit rough or just people turning violent and giving her that black eye that we learned about on tra uh, track four. But, you know, it's... Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very heavy song, which also um, hit, like, like, at the end of the song, we find out that she's basically been stabbed and raped in the street. Um, I mean, she didn't die presumably because we get back like if we go back to um fuck your ethnicity like we're I'm, I'm assuming that these are all the stories that they are telling rather than something that has happened after the fact um but that was a very heavy way to end the track and also then kendrick goes and mentions that he went to play this song for his little sister who was 11 at that time. Um, and there's probably multiple reasons that he did that. I mean, if you're being more, I guess, cynical, you could say that the reason that he sh played her the song was to, uh, I guess, tell her that she shouldn't do those sorts of things. Like, you shouldn't have, or shouldn't go to go and do what Keisha had to do um the other thing that I could think of is that it's just like yo people are fucked up like shit's real out there like you know it's I think it's more to just expose her to what's happening because I mean if I'm guessing there's like a 10 year difference between the two of them then like if she was 11 so there, she's likely part of a different generation um, so Kendrick, as the big brother, wants to expose her to that and let her know, like, like, things aren't all just happy and nice, like, shit's real. Like, it's a little bit, like, it might be a little early to tell her that, but, damn. <clears throat> um, then there's a few more songs, um, but it really is just kind of winding down at this point. Um, I guess Rigor Mortis, it's, Rigor Mortis is an interesting follow-up especially considering like you know um keisha was left to die um rigor mortis is essentially like when you die like your body just kind of freezes up and like locks up in whatever position it is due to um whatever chemicals are left in your body like in your muscles i mean so they just kind of like lock up um yeah it's a very interesting song to follow up mostly because it's like high energy um but, you know, this is a good track, in my opinion. I still like it. Um, it's, like, one of the few times that we hear Kendrick do a fast rap, which is interesting, to say the least. Uh, after that, we get... We get, like, three songs that are very similar in terms of, like, a vibe. I hate... The, I don't like saying vibe. But Cushion Corinthians, Blow My High, and Absol's outro, they're all kind of, like... You can say weed songs, but... Um, Cushion Corinthians is a little bit different, I'd say. Um, it's more like, where is it? Yeah, I mean, we have BJ the Chicago Kid on it, and he's basically just 
singing the chorus, like smoking my kush reading the Corinthians, like trying to relax and find meaning in what's happening. Um, although it is, in my mind, a weed song, it is also very just kind of trying to find yourself. Like Kendrick says in the first verse, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm Christian, I'm a sinner, I'm humble, I'm loud, I'm righteous, I'm a killer. Like there's all these parts of you. Like he's just trying to understand himself. But he's also just saying, like, yo, I'm just a human. And which kind of goes back into the whole fuck your ethnicity thing. Like, at the end of the day, we're all human. So, treat, treat each other as such, I guess. Uh, yeah, that then goes into Blow My High and Ab Soul's outro. Which, you know, they're very solid outros to, or like, a way to wind out the album. Um, then we get High Power, which... I still don't know if it's like... Like, I don't treat it as the last song. I treat it more as a bonus track. But I guess it does tie into the everything of this album. I'm not going to talk about it too much because it's like I did a whole breakdown and everything. But it's a very powerful song in my mind. Like it's something that they kind of dropped out of. Um, you know, if that makes sense. Like they don't talk about high power anymore. Like I think I think this really was like the last time that they did that. But anyways, like the whole purpose of high power was to i guess like empower <laughs> um and no not, not empower uh it's like an idea of enlightenment and just like explaining like all these things that are happening like around us um there's there's a lot there's a lot with it so i'm not gonna get too into it because i've already gone for far too long i feel but it's one of my favorite songs. It's produced by Jake Cole. And it's just just dope. Like every verse starts with him um like mentioning powerful black men. Like he starts off Martin Luther, Malcolm X. Um carrying on with Martin Luther in the second verse, I guess. And then three, Marcus Garvey. Like there's there's just so much to the song. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I really, I really like that song. So I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't want to <laughs> go too much more into it. Um, but yeah, like that about wraps up the album. This album to me, like, I know a lot of people don't place this very highly in terms of like Kendrick's discography as far as like his official albums. I know a lot of people put it dead last. Um, but that's not really meant to be a bad thing. That's to me like, you know, section eight is dope. It's still dope. Um, for me, I mean, I don't like doing rankings, but it's still, I, I personally put it above damn. Um, but damn is just because like, that's just because it's, it's different. Um, like overall, this album flows really well and has a very continuous sound through it. Um, and then Good Kid Mad City is still my favorite Kendrick album. But anyways, I still really like this album. It's something that I actually go back to more often than I thought I would. Like, you know, when you find out of a new find out about a new artist, jeez, I okay, I said it right. Um, you don't always know how long they're gonna stay in the game and how consistent they're gonna be. Especially given that my first exposure was overly dedicated, and that was literally just a mixtape. 
So when I heard Section 80, I'm like, okay, no, there's something different here. Like, this was, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it in this one or in the previous recording that I didn't keep, but, like, with, I mean, I mentioned in the past that Lupe was one of my biggest introductions to hip-hop, and, I mean, with him, he's obviously very conceptual as well, but it can be a lot more dense. With this album, it was a lot more obvious about what he was saying. Like, he kept it very clear, and I like that. Like, because, again, this was fairly early in my hip-hop experience. So this was one of the first times I'm like, oh shit, you can actually make an album that tells a full story like this. And I don't have to really think too hard about it. Like, it was done really well. Um, and then, obviously, with his future albums, we got a little bit more dense. But, I mean, that's just kind of par for the course, especially if this was his first conceptual album. <sighs> but yeah. I love this album. It's. I don't know if I just like it because it was just one of those memories, like it's nostalgia, but I still think it's one of his. I was going to say one of his better albums, but he's only put out like four proper albums. And I mean, of course, this is going to be one of the better ones if there's only four albums. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm just going to cut out that because I'm at this point, I'm just rambling and don't really know what I'm saying. So, anyways, uh, if you, let me know in the comments below what you thought of Section 80 and how you feel about it now. Did you listen to it when it came out originally? Did you wait a few years? Did you find out about Kendrick with Good Kid, Mad City and didn't even go back to Section 80? Let me know. Also, like and subscribe if you want to see more podcasts and content where I just kind of ramble on for just an amount of time. <laughs> And with that said, thank you for watching, thank you for listening, and please stay safe out there.